I want you to think back, long way back for some of you, uh, depending on your age, but I want you to think back to your first love. The first time you felt those butterflies, those, uh, those feelings that you can't put a finger on, and even to this day you can't bottle them up and control them, they come and go and they ebb and flow. And, but think about that time when you were a kid. Uh, I can remember my first love, my first girlfriend, like before kindergarten kind of girlfriend. Uh, I mean, her name was Tanya, and I can remember she came over and she was playing. Her, mo- her mother knew my mother, and she came over and we were playing in the backyard. And I did not realize I was a case for evolution on that day because I was like trying to show her what a man I was, like a gorilla. And uh, I was like, I could swing higher than you and I can jump and I can run faster than you. And I I thought all along, this is what that girl wants. She wants to know that she has a strong man. And so I I could climb trees faster than her. And by the end of uh, that hour that we were together in the backyard, we, our status had changed. We were boyfriend and girlfriend. And I had asked her to be my girlfriend. She was. Uh, For all of a week or so, uh, we were solid, we were steady, and uh, as much as you can be at five years of age. But uh, that's my first love. That was my first love. So think back to that first uh, uh, puppy love kind of that you had. I also want you to think about that first hate. Can I say it? That person who really, uh, you know, did you wrong. (laughs) That maybe not, maybe not the, the last person that did you wrong, or maybe, maybe it's the person that did you the most wrong. And I know we don't want to go there. The other's a happy thought. We probably can think of a lot of first. I can remember a lot of those first uh, handhold and that first kiss. And I can remember those, those are happy thoughts. And you want to go there. But then there's those people of our life. And many times the, the strange and sad thing is, is the first time we experience this emotion, I'll call it that. We'll call it, whether or not we put it on that person or not, it will be a different thing, a different conversation. But we felt this intense rage inside of us, this betrayal, this broken trust, this, this uh, abuse, this neglect, this bigotry, this bullying. Maybe, maybe it, it probably happened in school. It could have happened to somebody in your own family. Somebody that you trusted, somebody that was supposed to be safe and good, and they did something to you. And I can remember, again, talking about the wisdom that you get from a mother growing up. And I can remember at times, and my mother's sitting right over here, and I can remember at times saying that I hated someone. And she was very quick to say, you don't hate them, you hate what they did. And helping me distinguish between hating them and hating what they did. And sometimes it's like, no, 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 I hate them because they did what I hate doing. And so I wanted to keep the hate on the person and not on what they did uh, for as long as possible. And I wanted bad to happen to them. There was a word that I came to understand, and it was not until my late 30s. Okay, this is well into adulthood, kids and life and a lot of things going on. It was well into my 30s that I, before I learned the word called differentiation. 
Now, I know you use it in a business context a lot, but the word became a part of my life and Lori and I's life. And as she was working through some things that she was working through, as I was working through some things that I was working through. And as we were learning this together as a couple, it was learning to separate out the problem from the person. Because sometimes the person will never change and you can't change them. And that's really hard to ever think that you could love someone when you're told to love them because that person has done wrong, that person has hurt, that person has betrayed and all the other things that we can think of. It's really hard to, to get separate that person out from the problem and what the, they did. But it was the word differentiation that helped me to distinguish because I had to learn to be okay even if they weren't okay. My okayness was upon me. My ability to go on in life and not be consumed by hate was on me, not on them. What they did to me or didn't do for me or whatever, whether it's neglect or it's abuse, I, I can't do anything about them. I can only do something about me. And that's hard. And that takes a lot of emotional energy and strength because what happens is we want to get into this hate bombing. Well, you did this, I'm going to do this. Well, if you did that, I'm going to do that. And it's sometimes I'm talking to a couple in a counseling situation and I feel like I'm talking to fourth graders because the way they want to one-up one another, I'm saying, stop the madness, the hate bombing that is there. But our society is full of hate speech. We now have hate crimes and hate talk and hate actions. But this is not new. Our society has struggled with civil rights and how we hated a different, uh, uh, a different uh, race of people. We've had civil wars in our country. So this is not exactly new. And I even just want to challenge you. And again, just a little brief 10-second commercial that man, we want a we want a nation that's righteous and that has righteous leaders. This Tuesday is election day, and you just have a duty and a responsibility to go and vote if you haven't already. And so that's enough on that commercial. But I just say, when you go, vote righteousness, okay? And it doesn't take much Bible knowledge and much prayer time and much looking at the issues and much looking at the people. And just pray, God, give me. The, the ability to separate out my prejudices, my political bias, bias, to vote what is right, okay? I'm going to leave it at that. Let you and God deal with the rest. But this hate thing that has so polluted the waters of our culture and our politics and our businesses, we were not going to be able to put enough laws in place in the books to be able to get rid of the hate of our hearts. Let me say that to you again. We're not going to be able to put enough laws on the books to get rid of the hate of our hearts until we learn how and that love is greater than hate. It's more than a cool statement on a t-shirt or a hoodie. We truly want to live by this. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, says it clearer than any other verse in Scripture because this concept of love is greater than hate is actually not actually just a First John concept. It is actually a Bible concept. 
When the scriptures point out, now look at this. You can't find a more clear verse than this. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. You see the the dichotomy of the two here. Hatred stirs it up. Hatred keeps it going. Hatred doesn't let it rest. Hatred is the one that will keep you awake at night. Hatred is the one that will keep the hate speech going. Hatred is the one that will keep the bigotry and the racism going. Hatred is the one that will not let it rest. But what love can do, what love can do can literally cover over, not mask over, but cover over, conquer over, defeat, beat down, the offenses that are out there. And we've all been offended. Let's consider it like this. Let's break it down uh, phrase by phrase. Hatred generates conflict, okay? When there's hatred in me, then there will be hatred around me. Have you ever noticed people, there's certain people, and and you may be that person, that wherever you're having a conversation with them, let's just keep it in the other person camp right now. It's the other person. You're you're talking to them, and there's always a problem. There's always a problem with people. There's always a problem on the job. There's always a problem at that family affair. There's always a problem. Well, you know what? If there's always a problem, then you might be the problem. Think about it like that. Because if there is constant conflict, where's that coming from? What's the common denominator? What keeps being there? The, the point out the problems kind of people might need to better point to solutions than just point to problems. We have a way around here when we're talking among our pastoral team is that it's not just what you do, but it's how you do what you do. Because there are certain things that we can do that are right and good and proper and all that kind of stuff and for the glory of God. But sometimes we leave a negative wake while we're doing what we're doing. And so do you leave, does the people around you leave a positive wake or a negative wake? Because the reality is, and you've heard this before from me and probably others, hurt people hurt people. And that's just the reality of it. A person who has carrying around hatred, carrying around pain. And the thing is about hatred is we don't want to call it that because we don't want to call ourselves a hating person. But in reality, it's there. And we hurt, and so we hurt, and therefore we hurt others if we're not very careful. Number two, the thing it says, love overcomes offenses. We all have been offended Here's the good news. We're all offenders of others as well. If we think that we have not offended somebody, then we need to really look closer at ourselves. And if we think that I, well, I, I, I think I got it all figured out. I, I don't really, I'm not carrying offenses. I think John Eldridge in his great book, Wild at Heart, said it so well. He said, every man carries a wound. I have never met a man without one, no matter how good or uh, your life may have seemed to you. You live in a broken world full of broken people. Your mother and father, no matter how wonderful, couldn't have been perfect. She is the daughter of Eve and he is the son of Adam. So there is no crossing through this country without taking a wound. And every wound, whether assaultive or passive, delivers with it a message. 
The message feels final and true and absolutely true because it is delivered with such force. Our reaction to it shapes the personality in a very significant way. From that flows the false self. I can't say enough about that today. Beware of the false self. Most of the men, and he's writing to men here, so it could be men or women, you meet, live out a false self, a pose which is directly related to the wound. Let's make that clear. Wounds can be covered by love. And I'm not just talking about some kind of um, plastic pasture pasting over a wound. But it's going to take something supernatural. But that's why it says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, some people have misinterpreted that, misapplied that phrase, peacemakers, to be called peacekeepers. I just don't want problems. So I'm just going to be Mr. Nice Guy. I'm, I'm not going to deal with the issue. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. Well, that's sweeping the wound under the rug. And it will show itself up later. A peacemaker is a person who does the hard work of dealing with the issues and not sweeping them under, working for a solution and addressing the hurts and the pains. Take your Bibles and let's find the book of 1 John. Last week we did just the introduction of 1 John, which is much like the gospel of John. If you go back and you compare and contrast the introduction versus... um, Uh, the prologue of 1 John versus the prologue uh, of the Gospel of John. And really what he does in in this prologues is he really just points to the fact that Jesus is the answer. He is the Word. He He is the truth. He is the life. He uses some of the same phrases he does in both writings of his. He he points it back that if Jesus is not a part of our love equation, our love equation, definition, if we haven't figured that part out, if that's not a part of the definition of what love is for us, then we are living with giving away an inferior, incomplete, insufficient kind of love. So the love that I'm going to speak of today, the love I'm going to speak of through this series is a supernatural love, just like being a peacemaker is a mark or a sign of a child of God. Because it's a supernatural ability to make peace in the midst of turmoil. It's a supernatural ability to love when it's a lot easier to hate. And sometimes it feels better to hate, right? When you get just even the score, at least for a moment. That's the natural proclivity that we can easily go. But here's what I want us to think of when we think about diffusing bombs and hate bombs, when you think about that, if we don't learn to deal with the hate bombs that we carry and that we mastermind, that we build out, it's like putting on a vest, a a vest that they would use today, suicide vest that they might use in, in, in the war uh, against the Taliban. And it's like a person walking into the street and detonating their bomb 
That's, they're wearing and hoping the other person's going to die. In reality, they will be the victims. And maybe the other person will be injured. So we've got to learn how to diffuse the brokenness of that. John, the son of Zebedee, who was possibly a disciple of Jesus, excuse me, he was a disciple of Jesus, he was possibly a cousin of Jesus, is writing this letter of love, this love letter for us. And he's, he's dealing with a situation that's going on in his day and age of toxicity in relationships, of abandonment in the relationships, and we'll cover that in a few weeks, of people literally walking away from the relationships, and what do you do with that? And how do you process through that? And how do you categorize that? And so we're going to deal with some of these core values of a relationship and how, how we have them and how we love trumps, again, is greater than hate. And we've got to be careful because there's IEDs and there's roadside bombs and there's suicide vests that are out there. And we might easily be the detonators of them. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. I want to pick up where we left off last week just to tie the two together. Prologue's finishing, but I don't want you to miss the prologue because, again, this is where he's making the promise of what he's going to deliver in the rest of the letter that he's writing. So in verse 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. That's why I say this is a supernatural love. That's why you need to underscore that phrase. That's why you need to understand that the love standard which we're looking at here, that we're trying to operate off of, is not some kind of human formula for love. We're operating off a perfected divine love. Okay? I want that perfected divine love in me. By this we may know that we are in him. That's the proof is in the pudding. Whoever says that he abides, we're going to have that word as a key word that we're going to look at today, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So do, love, act, forgive like Jesus loved, act, and and forgave. Now let's go to verse 7. Verse 7 is he introduces, he kind of calls them together and he gets their attention back. And he does this four different times. He uses the same word, beloved, throughout this letter. So it's one of his favorite words. John the apostle was the beloved disciple of Jesus. It was called that in the Gospels. He uses the word beloved. So he is constantly bringing us back to love. He's the, he's the beloved disciple bringing us back to loving his own disciples. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning, the old commandment. So it's not new, it's old, okay? Commandment uh, is that the word that you have heard. So you've heard this before. At the same time, it's a new commandment. I want to say, John, is it old or is it new? Which is it? You're calling it now. It's, now it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And whoever says that he has the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides, key word again, in the light and in him. And there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, what he does next is he writes in kind of a poetic kind of way, and he writes as if he's writing to different people. 
And really what many scholars believe is that he's pointing out the different pathways or the different mile markers that people are on in their spiritual journey. Some are more mature than others, and some are at this juncture in others, and all of us are at a different point on the highway of spiritual journey here, spiritual formation. I'm writing to little children, okay? Not an insult. Because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. They were new believers he's writing to. But he's also writing to fathers, people who have been helping bring other people to faith in Christ. Because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to young men, people who are not brand new believers, but are newer in the faith. Because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to children because you know the Father. I'm writing to the fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Again, the word abides. I keep pointing them out to you. In you and you have overcome the evil one. But do not love. There's a thing that we don't love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, the fourth time, he uses the word abides, abides forever. How do we diffuse hate bombs? Three calculated moves that we can diffuse the hate bombs of our life. Now, you are not tasked with diffusing other people's hate bombs. You're not skilled, nor is it your responsibility. Okay, let me say that to you again. If somebody is hurling hate bombs at you, you cannot stop them from hurling hate bombs at you. Okay, that's their problem. That's differentiation. Their problem is not your problem. They have a problem. But what you can do is by God's grace and God's intervention and God's work in your life, that perfected love that we want to have, we can, by God's grace, see the bombs of our own heart defused. Now, how do we do that? Three very careful moves that we make. One, we choose, listen, we choose love. Now, love is a feeling. I know that. But you have to choose love. It doesn't always come as a feeling. Now, I wish it always came as a feeling. No, I actually don't. Because there are some times that I just don't want to love people. I got family members like that. But I got to love them. Because we're blood, right? No. I mean, yes. But I got to love them more because I'm a follower of Christ. I choose love. I choose the path of love. I choose, I could choose hate. Hate's easy. Hate's natural. Anybody can hate. But I'm called to love. As a child of God, I'm called to give love. Jesus made it so clear. He said, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor. This is Matthew chapter 5. Every time you see the word love, I want you to say it out loud with me so it's on the screen, okay? You shall love your neighbor as your Uh, and, And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who, what reward do you have? 
Now, I love this here because he really brings it back to us. It's on us, not upon them. I have enemies. You have enemies. I have people who have offended me. You have people who have offended you. But now my job is to love them. How am I going to love them? (laughs) I love it that he gives two imperative commands in here. He says, love them, but also pray for them. One thing I've learned about prayer and love is that if I'm praying, God, give me grace. God, help me. God, forgive me. God, do this. I can't turn around and say, but God, thank you for your forgiveness for me. But would you send a thousand camel fleas into their armpits so that they will itch for the rest of their life? Would you just torment them, God? I, I have a hard time praying for grace for me and judgment for them. Now, if you can do that, you are a better person than me or a weaker person than me. I just can't do it. I can't ask God to give me grace, give me love, give me a second chance if I'm not willing to give somebody else. So prayer and love go hand in hand. In fact, maybe the prayer is God help me to love them. And then I like that little last phrase. There's for if you love those who love you, what reward is it? We can all love anybody who loves us back. But a supernatural person will love some supernaturally when they love people who don't love them back. Love is, is a supernatural work. It's the way Jesus does. Now, doesn't, no, 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 no. The love doesn't mean that with that person who's hurling hate bombs at you that you reconcile with them, okay? Understand that. Love and reconciliation are two different things. Now, they're beautiful when they work together, but they don't always come together. Again, differentiation is I can't do anything about them, but I can only do something about me. If I'm supposed to love them, I need to love them. So I love them even if, I don't, if I'm not reconciled to them because they still could be doing their abusive wrongs and, and I, and I got to stay away from that for, for health and good reason. Think about it like this. Jesus was sent to this earth, it says in John chapter 3, verse 16, because God loved the world, Right? God loves the world. He loves the whole world. He loves it from the beginning to the end. He loves every person who ever walked on this earth. But does that mean every person on this earth is going to be reconciled to God? No. In fact, the Bible says few there will be who find it. There will be few who will actually come to faith in Christ. There will be few that will be reconciled. But does it mean God didn't love them? He loved them all the way through. In fact, the, the sign that we have out in the gallery area is based on Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The live since sign that we have out there that we're turning on light bulbs for everybody, everybody who comes to faith in Christ and has their hearts changed and, and we're celebrating it as, as it happens and as it unfolds. It's based on Romans chapter five, verse eight. Now notice Romans chapter five, verse eight, how God, when God loved us, he loved us in that while we were still sinners, while we still were broken, while we were still offensive, while we were still wrong, that's when he loved us. When it comes to this passage, he leads us in verse 7 and 8. And he calls us to a new commandment that's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. I'm thinking, I all week long struggle with that. You call it old. No, you call it not new. Then you call it old. And then you call it new. Are you schizo here? Is it old or is it new? And, and really what he's doing is he's bringing us... When you think about what is old and what is new and new and new and old, when, when something is new and in fashion, it's clothing, for example, it, what, what we call it, we call it hipster, all right? When it first comes out, okay, it's hipster, it's, it's, it's cutting edge, it's something like that, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the style of the day. When it's old, we call them out of fashion. But when it's both old and new, we call it vintage. So Jesus gives us, or John gives us a vintage 
style to wear. Because it's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where Jesus first tells us to love people greater or as, as we love ourselves. But then it's in John chapter 13 that Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love your one another just as I have loved you. You also, oh, you're not saying love with me, okay? Let's go back and reread that together. I just realized that myself. Let's do it together. A new commandment I give to you that you one another, just as I have. And you also are to one another. If you ever wonder where we get our one another's around here, it's from verses just like this. We want to promote that transformative community with one another's. It's hard to love. But that's exactly what he calls us to in verse 7. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you a new commandment, not an old commandment that you have from the beginning, an old commandment that, you, uh, that is in the word that you have heard. You've heard. You heard. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you heard this before. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. John 13, verse 34, we just read that. In which is true in him and is in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Listen. Love is a choice before it's a feeling. When we make it a feeling before it's a choice, we cheapen it. Anybody can do that. It takes supernatural to love somebody. There are some people who what they drink for breakfast and what they drink for lunch and what they drink throughout the day is haterade. And they just consume it. Everything is negative and dark. I want to challenge you, erase the hate and embrace the grace. And you, when you learn to choose love, you give grace away. First John chapter 3 will be there in a few weeks. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The word abiding comes out again. Let's go to the second way that we defuse that bomb is by choosing intimacy, choosing intimacy. Now, the word love is used 36 times in 24 verses throughout the book of 1 John. It is the number, it's the key to unlock the book of 1 John. Six times in five chapters, the word abide is used. Again, I pointed out four of them right here in the passage that we're looking at today. So to skip over this word would be, would be foolish. It would be neglect of, of the passage. So let's understand that word abide and what it means. It's every time it's used, it's every single time it's used in a present, active, tense, and mood, okay? It's, 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 it's tense and voice, excuse me. It's, it's used in this present, something that's happening right now, and it's active. It's something that I'm doing. So I am abiding, okay? I do this. God does things in my life, but I do this with God. I choose to abide with him. I make intentionality a part of abiding with him. Abiding is beautiful, empowering, and comforting reality to live in. It's an intimate relationship with God. I'm going to be able to diffuse the hate bombs of my life because I'm going to be intimately connected to Jesus. And if that intimate connection is ever broken and Jesus is over here and I am over here, it's going to be really hard to love the people hurling bombs at me. But if there's an intimacy with Jesus and abiding 
with God, then it can happen. Verse 9 and 10, it says, he gets into the heart of hate. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You can sit in here and call yourself a church member. You can go on global adventures. But if you're harboring hate, you're still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. And there is no cause for stumbling. Abiding. It's somewhat of a difficult concept. Where's God? How do do I abide with Jesus? Where's he at? It's a spiritual relationship. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China for a number of years. And he was staying at somebody's house and they were struggling with the whole concept of abiding and abiding. How does does a person abide with Christ in, in the midst of all that? And he pointed it out like this. In this statement, I want to read to you. While sleeping last night, did I stop abiding in your house because I was unconscious of the fact? See, abiding, I'm aware that I'm abiding, but sometimes I'm unconsciously abiding. I'm realizing that he is with me in the secret times of my life as I travel, as I'm alone in a hotel room, as I'm on my computer, as I'm having these other conversations on the side, I got to realize that I am with the Father and the Father's with me. The Spirit of God is with me. I'm abiding with Him. And if I ever separate myself from Him, there's this major disconnect in more ways than not. I have to nurture this abiding. Again, it's something that I do. I want, I long for, I seek after. If I'm not seeking after him, I will not find him, the scripture says. But when I seek him, I will find him when I search for him with all my heart. The abiding is very conscious and unconscious. I want to do an entire series sometime on abiding. John writes about abiding more than any other author in the New Testament. Paul only uses this word twice. Every other time it's used in the New Testament, John is using it. A couple of things about abiding. Number one, abiding is an alignment with God. Basically, I get on the same page with God. I get on the same page with God in, in what's right and what's wrong. And when I get on the same page with God and I'm walking in his steps and I'm abiding in Christ and he is in me and I am in him and we are in this union of uh, 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 beauty, I'm able to give grace because I have grace abiding in me. I'm able to give love because I have the author of all love in me. You see how that diffuses the hate bomb in me? Is I can't harbor hate in my heart when the presence of God is in me. And I'm abiding with him and he's abiding with me. There's an aligning factor that happens that when I get with God, John 8, 31 is the first time John uses it. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Another time, John 15, he uses it a whole bunch of times. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding. I'm aligned with God. I'm on the same page. Same sheet of music, running the same plays, whatever other metaphor you want to throw in there. I ask you this. Is there alignment between you and God? And if you have to think about it very long, you need to dive into what you're holding back on. Because you can be aligned in a lot of ways 
and it doesn't take much before you're out of a line. Just one area of your life, and it will pull the rest of you away. Notice what he, when he was writing, who he was writing to, those who were aligned, those who were abiding with him. He says in verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome. You're strong, and you've overcome. That's alignment. Number two is abiding brings awareness of God. It's not only that I'm aligned with God, but I'm aware that I'm walking in step with him. He is with me. It's not a disconnect between God. It's not a, a God, is, God is very present in my life when I'm aligned with him and I'm abiding in him. Verse 10 and 11. We just, we just read it, but here, let's, let's come back to it again. And he says, And whoever loves his brother abides in him. And there is no cause for stumbling. He says, But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Look at that phrase. He does not know where he's going. I'm not asked for a show of hands, but do you know anybody who lives that clueless kind of life? They don't know where they're going. They go from one job to another job, one relationship to another relationship, one dream to another dream, one mirage to another mirage. They can never get happy. They can never find joy. Maybe it's you. It's going to be really hard if you're going to keep chasing that almighty dollar because you're never going to catch enough of them. Keep chasing that American dream because that dream keeps getting bigger. Keep chasing that mirage because that mirage keeps moving. They don't know where they're going. A person who is not abiding in Christ, is not aware of Christ, is not walking with Christ, they're missing it. They're missing it in their life. I can tell you this, and those of you who've been in my men's Bible studies and I've done my life story with you, if you can remember back to that conversation, I was living in my 30s and 20s an unsustainable lifestyle. And that's when differentiation became a part of my vocabulary because I realized that I couldn't keep living the life that I was living. It was unsustainable. And I don't have time to go into it. It was just unsustainable. Joy and sustainability became real to me when I learned to abide in Christ. A whole series of messages could be done on it. Don't have time to go further. We, we, we need to realize we choose love. We choose intimacy with God. But there's another thing that we diffuse the bomb inside of us is we choose hate. We, we choose hate. We should choose hate. I know that seems strange and contradictory, right? We, we need to learn to hate some things. This culture... The, the culture we, which we live is a construct of our, of our society. It's the construct of our life. It, it's, it's what we're born into. It's the environment. It's the paradigm of our life. And we're born into that, and it's what we know. It's the construct in which we live. But a construct will give birth to a worldview. A worldview is how we see things. That's why going on a global adventure is so powerful. It's because when you go on a global adventure, all of a sudden your worldview changes because you've moved outside of your construct into a different construct. 
Think about that. Worldview leads to values. Whenever you certain see th- certain things a certain way, you begin to value things in that way and then leads to behavior. Now, what we want to do in our culture is we want to change behavior. We want to stop the school shootings. We want to stop the synagogue bombings. We want to stop the hate speech. We want to stop the racism. We want to stop well, what we've got to do. We've got to stop the behavior. Well, I've got to change the values. How are you going to change the values? You've got to change the worldview. How are you going to change the worldview? You've got to change the construct. You've got to change the environment. You've got to change where it's happening. Wherever it's happening. And that's where John comes and he says to us, listen, you've got to be aware. The world in which you live in is not a healthy model in which you should follow after. You think about the Syrian refugees that we've been working with. Since 2015, uh, March 15, 2011, for seven and a half years, some of these kids have known nothing but war. They wake up in the day wondering where they're going to sleep tomorrow night, where they're going to gather their meal for the next day, whether mom and dad will live to see tomorrow. I know of a refugee right now who's about to move to another country that will be his fourth country that he will live in in the past four years. And he's going to relocate to a place that he doesn't have anybody or anything. That's the construct. Now, don't you think he has a certain worldview and a certain value and a certain behavior that could follow that? Now, think about our little children that we grow up in America, our little Throgmortons. And we give them trophies when they lose. And we get mad at the teacher because they didn't make the honor roll. And we have to give every one of them a screen to babysit them. You see the construct in which we're creating an environment, a paradigm? And that's before we even get to the traveling teams. That we make our life center around our children. And when we make our children the center of the universe, no wonder they, they grow up thinking that they're little gods and goddesses. Now, when you marry a demigod and you're a demigod, you're a mess. Demigods make horrible roommates, playmates, teammates, soulmates, and life mates. We've got to learn to hate some things. Verse 15. Do you love the world or the things of the world? Do not love the world or the things of the world. If you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he tells us exactly what is making up this world. He says the desires of the flesh. These are the unbridled hunger. And I have an entire message just on these verses. But the desires of the flesh are the unbridled hungers of our flesh. And when we just think, hey, I want this. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to charge it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to consume it. I'm going to take it in. You know what that's led to? It was obesity, materialism, hoarding, indebtedness, impulsivity. It makes up our society. Desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes. What I see, I want. Pornography, lustfulness, envy, jealousy. There's so much of that in our culture and drives our culture and we don't see anything wrong with it. It's the construct of our society. We better be careful because it's shaping our worldview. It's shaping our values. And now that's why we're having the issues that we're having in our culture. The behaviors. But don't miss the last one. The pride of life. It's all about me. Now go back to my little Throgmorton narrative that I just shared. And that's why we have hedonism narcissism, libertarianism, arrogance. That's why we're entitled. We feel entitled that we should have gotten that and the other person shouldn't have gotten that. 
See, what we've got to do, if we're going to defuse the bombs of this society, I can't do anything about your bomb. I can only do things about my bomb. And the bomb that's in me is I've got to choose love. It's a choice. I've got to choose intimacy because I need Jesus to shape who I am. And I need to abide with him. And I need to choose to hate a different path than the world's path, the construct, the paradigm, the environment in which I live. We're going to end our message a little different today. We're not going to have the normal response time. Matt's just going to play on the keys. I want you to bow your heads right now. We're not even having prayer partners today. If you want to pray with somebody, come see me at the end. Come see one of our pastors. Go to the prayer room. Hopefully there'll be somebody there to pray with you. But I want you to consider your own heart. Who is it that you need to love? Who is it that you need to embrace even if things don't change? Just to set your heart free. Take off the suicide vest. How's your relationship with God? Are you abiding? Because if you're not abiding, it's going to be really hard to have his love. You'll be like that person who doesn't know where he's going. And he, she are in another job, in another relationship, chasing another mirage. Abide. Abide. Align with him. Connect with him. And lastly, are you able to call out your own culture? Where it's wrong, choose a different path. Diffuse the bomb of your own soul. I want to pray for us. Father God, we all have people that we we really don't like. We, we have to, it's hard. It's hard to love them. And the crazy thing is, they're people that are close to us. If they weren't close to us, Lord, we wouldn't have to deal with them. But God, you call us to love, even our enemies. People who've wronged us, hurt us, offended us. And God, I can't do anything about the bomb that's going off around me, but I can do a lot about the bomb that's going off inside of me by abiding in you. It says I won't stumble, Lord, when I abide in you and I walk in your light. God, in this room right now, I pray where we're not abiding 
we're not connecting, we're not aligning, we're not aware that you're even there, I pray that, Lord, you'd be very present. God, help us to choose a better paradigm than what this world has to offer us. God, do your work in us. Do your work through us. In Jesus' name, amen.